Good evening. Today I have the lovely Abby with me. Hi, Abby. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, thank you, Donna. I'm Abby Mukherjee, and I'm the author of the Wyndham and Banerjee series of crime novels set in Raj era India in the 1920s and 30s. Um, there are five books now in the series, and uh, there will be a sixth at some point as soon as I get my finger out. Uh, but I'm also writing other stuff. So, and it's it's great to be on. Thank you so much for inviting me on. You're very welcome, and it's a pleasure. So my first question to everyone is, did you always know that you wanted to write? Um, yeah, I, well, I always wanted to write uh, ever since I was at school, but um, I had a bit of a hiatus of about 20 odd years when I didn't write anything. Um, yeah, I was at school and, I, and, I, and as I say, I wanted to write, but um, one of my English teachers told me that not to do an English degree. He said, if you do an English degree, you'll end up teaching snotty kids in a school somewhere, just like I've done teaching you. Um, and I, so I took that to heart. And then, so I didn't do English, I did economics at university. And then I spent 20 years doing something really, really boring in finance. Um, and it was on, and during that time, you know, I always knew I wanted to write and I'd get really bored with my day job uh, to the extent that whenever things got really bad, I would do two things. I would buy lottery tickets and I would start writing a book. Um, but I never really, I never won any money for a start. And secondly, I never got very far on any of these attempts. I'd write 5,000 words and then I would read them and I'd get scared or or just, you know, too much would be happening and I'd just put it in a drawer and I'd forget about it. And, and so that went on for the best part of 20 years. And then at the age of like 39 and three quarters, um, I sort of had this um, midlife crisis, as it were. And my wife said I wasn't allowed a motorbike. So I thought, right, I'm going to I'm going to write then. Um, and I just got very lucky. I, I, I wrote something. I entered, I saw a competition in the Telegraph uh, and they were only looking, they were looking for new crime writers uh, and they only wanted 5,000 words of a novel. And as I say, I had like 5,000 words and I, I sort of put it in, I tidied it up and I sent it away and I won. And so that was great. I might have told them that I had a full novel, but I didn't. I had, had about 7,000 rotten words. And so, yeah, once I explained that to them, they were, they were very good about it. They said, OK, we'll give you a while to write it. And, and that became my first book, A Rising Man, which, um, yeah, which came out in 2016 when I was still semi-young. Now I'm just old. <laughs> You're not that old. <laughs> oh, I feel it. I tell you, I feel old today. It's my birthday last week and I've, I've you know, we could have set fire to the house with the number of candles that we had. <laughs> I was fine until I worked with two 16-year-olds and then I was like, oh, God, they're like another species. I have no idea. <laughs> I used to I used to have, um, I used to work with a girl and my ringtone was a Dire Straits song. And she was like half my age. And then she started singing along to the song. And I thought, oh, you, you know Dire Straits? I said, yeah, my dad used to play it when I was a kid. I'm like, oh great yeah that's that's about right I thought I was cool for two seconds and then yeah yeah I know yeah, I, I was driving home and I heard the drum and bass version of uh, Down Under by Men at Work and I was just like <laughs> oh my god what you're too young to remember the, uh, Men at Work the first time around I don't believe you remember it from when it came out I do you don't the reason I know it is because it was Simon Whitlock's walk on song under darts 
Uh, <laughs> so that's how I know it. <laughs> okay, that, that's later on. I was there when it, I, I was there when it came out. <laughs> Young lady. <laughs> yeah, I was not quite. I don't know when it came out. Actually, I've no idea. It was nine, I'm going to say 1982. Uh, it's going to be 80, between <laughs> 81 and 83 is my my roughest my rough guess. I'll find out. Alexa, when did Men at Work uh, release, what's it called, Land Down Under? Men at Work first premiered in the United States on the 24th of May, 2012. No, that's the wrong thing. Alexa, off. No, she's just telling me something else. She's useless. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I was born in 83, so, yeah, I wouldn't have known it, but, Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we got we digressed already. That's impressive. Books. We're here for books. <laughs> well, we're here for culture. We're here for things like you know, down on men land down under. Yeah. Oh, there's so many better songs from the eighties than that. <laughs> it's it's okay, but absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's a well known fact that music peaked in 1986. Uh, it's been downhill since then. Not not many people admit that, but it is true. If you look at the number one hits of 1986. Uh, it was almost every song is brilliant. After that, it just goes downhill. And in the 90s, it just got scary. I know, that's when I was a teenager. This is what I was brought up on, is the songs of the 90s. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's no hope. <laughs> Spice Girls and Barbie <laughs> Girls. Fair, I was God clubbing knows. in the 90s. So, yeah, <laughs> I was very drunk for most of the 90s. Uh, the so... only way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was bad. <laughs> um. When you wrote your first book, did you know that it was going to develop into a series? Um, I, I knew I wanted to write a series. Um, in fact, when I did, when I handed in that first 5,000 words, I had to write a, a two-page synopsis as well. And the last line of that was, if, if this is of interest, uh, it would be the first in a series um, running between 1919, which is when the first book is set, to 1947, which is Indian Independence. Um, so I always knew I wanted to look at the whole period, uh, but I'd envisaged doing like a book a year, um, but I forgot that that's 38, 39 years, 39 books, and I probably won't live that long because I'm from Glasgow. So, uh, so you know, maybe I've bitten off a bit too much, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. You could do two a year, you know. I, could, well, I can't even manage Some people, one you know, they write like four books a year. So. Yeah, they're, they're good and they're efficient. I'm just lazy and not very talented. And if I get one book out a year, I'm doing well. But I also, I'm, I also want to write other stuff. So I'm currently writing something which is very different from the series. It's, it's actually set in 2024 in the lead up to the next US election. Um, so yeah, I'm working on the second draft of that now, and it's it's bizarre. It's like going back to um, stage one again. It's like going back to writing that first book in terms of the learning curve. Um, so, but I've talked to other authors. I've talked to people like um, Val McDermott and Mick Heron, and they all say, yeah, when you when you go from writing a series to writing your first standalone, um, it is quite it's quite a challenge. It's not what you expect. Um, but it's great. It's great fun. I'm learning, and and that's important. Yeah, and I guess you had to do a lot of research for your theory. So, what's the most interesting thing you found when researching? Oh, there's so much. Um, you know, I'm I'm very lucky in that you know my books are set in India. They're set mainly in Calcutta, uh, which is this 
I don't know if your your listeners or your 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 viewers have been there, but it's it's this fascinating city in the east of India that was once the capital of the Raj, um, and it's full of these old you know crumbling palaces and beautiful buildings, and there's so much history and culture there um, that people have just forgotten, or people in Britain have forgotten. Um, so it's it's a great atmospheric place to work, and there's so much history. So, I mean, this was one of the most interesting things that I learned, uh, was that the science of fingerprinting uh, was actually developed in Calcutta. So the Calcutta Police Department had a fingerprint bureau five years before Scotland Yard, did. Um, and the actual work was done by two Indians. One was a Hindu and one was a Muslim. Um, they were called Hemchandra Bose and Aziz Ul Haq. Uh, so they're the ones who did the work. But the guy who gets the credit was their boss, uh, an Englishman called Edward Henry, uh, who was given a knighthood for it and then became head of Scotland Yard. And it's still called the Henry system to this day. Um, so, yeah, that, that's one of the, the most interesting things. But there's so much, there's so much history and so much sort of um, crime related stuff that's been forgotten. Uh, in that part of the world that it's just it's a joy every time I go um, little nuggets just come up I was you know I was um, doing a, a walking tour of Calcutta and we'd just gone past the high court into this really rundown street and it was called Fancy Street and I'm like well why is it called Fancy Street um, and the guy goes well you know because it, it's not it's really not very fancy and he goes well actually it's it's from the Bengali word Fashi, which means to strangle, because this is where they were hanged. So it was actually hanging street, but because the word was Fashi, it got translated into fancy street. And it's little things like that that make me laugh. <laughs> it's quite gruesome, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I think print was invented as like a contract thing, wasn't it? If people borrowed money and well, exactly not because, crime, it was it yeah. was for yeah, as a because so uh, few people <laughs> were literate in that part of the world. Um, you know, fingerprints were how you signed things. So they had, they had even in, in, they had this great database of fingerprints from which to work on, uh, and that's how they developed, it. and that's why it developed there rather than somewhere else. Because for you know generations, the fingerprint was how you had signed documents. So you had this great collection of and this archive of fingerprint material which you could use. Really hard to compare. They are as well. Yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. Sitting there with like, you know, magnifying glasses out. Try, try yeah. see the difference. <laughs> I know. They're all different and everything, which is all very nice. But, you know, there's but only certain who's, little... Who's this? Who's this? Donna. This is Trixie. Trixie. And and Trixie's what? What kind of a dog is she? She's a Yorkshire Terrier. She's a rescue. We've only had her maybe two months. Oh, wow. And how's that going? Um, yeah, as you can see, you know, she's hating her life here and doesn't get any attention at all and doesn't make sure that she gets on in all my interviews now. Well, there you are. She's a star. She has, yeah. to, she has to be. In. Yeah, she's a baby. <laughs> so these areas I love cold, cold. Oh. <laughs> um, if you were to take one of your characters out for a meal, who would you choose and what would you Ooh, ask gosh, them? That's one of my characters. Yeah, I think you know what I'd love to take them all out separately, but I think let's let's. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to take Sam or Surin, my my two main characters, Sam Wyndham and Surendranath Banerjee. Um, 
I probably wouldn't want to take either of them out because it'd be quite awkward. Um, Sam would be like, why have you done this to me? Why have you given me (laughs) such a terrible life? And, um, and, you know, I've killed his wife. I've given him this opium addiction. I've dragged him across the world. He'd be like, why why do you hate me? And and Surin would be like, why do you keep putting me in difficult positions where I keep getting beaten up? So I I don't think I would take either of them. I'd probably start with Annie Grant, who is this Anglo-Indian woman that um, Sam has a bit of a thing for. Um, he does fall in love with her, um, but then he accuses her of murder at one point, which is not very sort of conducive to a long-term relationship. But, you know, since then, he's been basically carrying out this low-level guerrilla warfare against anybody else who might be interested in her. So I would take her out for, for dinner and see how Sam reacts. <laughs> that seems like a very risky move. <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you hide secret jokes or messages in your books that only a few Once. people would understand? I do, I do. Um, well, do I hide secrets that only a few people understand? No, I don't do that. Um, I, what I do do is I put in jokes that my readers will know and people who know me will know in terms of... So I'm always making fun of accountants because I spent <laughs> 25 years being an accountant. So um, there's a lot of digs at accountants. There's a lot of digs at Scottish people and there's a lot of digs at Bengali people. So Bengal is the part of India where the books are set. So yeah, there, there's not, so I wouldn't, I don't tend to make jokes that only one or two people would get. Um, <clears throat> I don't, I don't see the point of that, but I do, you know, if people, if people know me uh, and they know I'm, a, I'm an accountant or I was an accountant, then they'll understand why I make so many jokes. <laughs> at the expense of accountants, and why I kill so many accountants as well. They, they tend to have a, a short lifespan in my books. Um, what I do do, though, is I name my character, a lot of my characters, uh, after my friends. So at the so from book two, at the back of every book, I have to apologise for about half, to half a dozen people for killing them or doing things to them. Um, but, yeah, people, people seem to like being killed. Um, I ask people, do you want to be a hero or do you want to be a villain or do you want to be a victim? And most people want to be either a villain or a victim. It's quite odd. Maybe yeah. that's just my friends. I don't know. <laughs> I've, um, I'm in, I think I'm in three books now. Oh, wow. The first one, I was a um, sex mad politician who uh, <laughs> got struck off for taking three guys to her hotel room, which was quite funny. And yeah, I had no idea. days with that. <laughs> in standards of slipping you'd be already be in the cabinet with that sort of background yeah, right? hello <laughs> uh but what was the other one I've, the last one i'm a policewoman i can't remember what the second one is but it's something to do with sex again as well. oh selling selling my body for sex because i was in debt that's right <laughs> that's oh, i see a pattern <laughs> emerging here yeah. i swear it's not me <laughs> i promise <laughs> Mike Craven, M.W. Craven, said he was going to put me in one of his books. I don't know if he's done it yet. I haven't read his latest one yet, so I don't know if I'm in it. Uh, I need to check. Maybe he just told me that just to make me read it. I'll have to see. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put it past him. If I'm not, I'm going to give him a terrible review. Um, <laughs> yeah, he'd be too drunk to remember anyway. You know what? He's a really, such a good guy, though. Um we were, we, because of lockdown, we didn't go abroad this year. We just went to um, the Lake District uh, for our summer holidays. So I asked him, 
should we stay in this town or that town? And because my wife found, because we were booking last minute, and my wife found this one place that looked really cheap. Because don't stay there; it's probably a crack house. <laughs> you sure? He said, "Yeah." I'm like, "Okay, fine." And we we took his recommendation. We stayed in Ulverston, which was really nice. So yeah, Mike Mike is lovely, and his wife is even lovelier. She's far too good for him. Uh, so if you ever see him, tell him that. Tell him I said that. I will. Oh, he's promised me another interview when his new book oh, well, comes out. So yeah, I should tell, tell him two things. Tell him his wife is too good for him. Tell him he looks really tired and that he should stop writing for a while so everybody <laughs> else can get a chance. Okay, just pass those. Don't tell him that's from me. You just tell him that yourself. Oh, I tell him anyway. I tell him that he's cool making us wait for his books. And he's like, it's not me, it's the publisher. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Just release them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, apparently you have to be patient. Well, there you are, yeah. Gotta be patient. Yeah, I'm not, especially when they're as good as his. I always tell him it's a compliment, but he just tells me to shut up, really. So, fair <laughs> enough. He is a fantastic writer. It hurts me to say that. Uh, I'm a bit <laughs> jealous about how good a writer he is, but he's fantastic and he's a lovely guy. Yeah, even if he looks miserable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, if you were to fictionally murder someone, how would you do it? Oh, fictionally murder someone. That's a good question. Now, so I should, I don't really know how I would do that, but um, put it this way, right? My wife will not go on a cruise with me uh, ever since I told her that the best way to kill someone is to push them off a cruise ship because, um, you know, it's on the high seas. It's difficult to find the body. Uh, if you can't find the body, it's difficult to prove the crime. And even if you do find the body, um, the crime is investigated by the country to which the ship is registered, if it happens on the high seas, and most of these most of these are sort of registered in the Dutch Antilles or somewhere where the you know the police department is one man and a dog. So yeah, I, I said to my wife, yeah, we should go on a cruise just for research, and she won't do it. So <laughs> so I think oh, somebody else told me though that it's getting more difficult to do that because they have heat sensors or they have you know so many cameras on these cruise ships now. Uh, or sensors on these cruise ships, that it's very difficult to push someone off without people realising. Um, so, yeah, you, I'd need to do something to the, the surveillance system first and then push someone off a boat. I think that's the best way to do it because getting away with it, it's, it's not dirty, it's clean, you know, it's over in a couple of seconds and you don't have to clean up and it's pretty effective. So, yeah, pushing someone off on a cruise... Um, but as I say, my, my wife will not let me research that with her. So it's full sport, honestly. Saving <laughs> me some money, to be fair. <laughs> and, and the chance of getting COVID for 10 times, the 10th time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Um, and if you were fictionally murdered, who would you want to investigate it? Oh, that's a great question. If I was fictionally murdered, <laughs> who? Well, it depends. That's, it really depends on how much I'd like the crime to be solved. Because I think if I'm going to get murdered, it's probably going to be my wife. And I, I don't really think she should go to jail for it because I, I think she, I'd probably deserve it if she murdered me. So I'd want somebody completely incompetent to, to um, investigate if it was my wife. So we'd go with somebody like Inspector Cluzo if it was my wife who did it. If it was someone who I didn't like, if it's someone who's, you know, a real, uh, if it was, you know, Vasim Khan or somebody like that, I would have to, I'd want Poirot to investigate 
because Vasim thinks he's an intellectual, but he's nothing compared to Poirot. So Poirot would like solve it in a day. Uh, so yeah, let's go with that. Um, what was your most fun scene that you wrote in any of your books? Obviously, without spoilers. Oh wow, that's a really, really good question. I've never thought of that. Um, fun scene. I, I don't know if I have a favourite scene. Um, I do have favourite lines. So there's a scene in, in the first book where Sam and Surin are investigating the murder of an Englishman. I know he's a Scotsman, I should say, not an Englishman. And they end up at this church uh, in, in, in Calcutta, the church, the St Andrew's Church. And the minister is from Scotland uh, and he's trying to convert um, them they're trying to get he's trying to get Sam to join the church and despite being you know thousands of miles away from Scotland and despite the fact that one of his friends is dead the thing that matters most to him is this rivalry between Catholics and Protestants uh, and he's trying to convert Surendranath to Protestantism knowing full well that if a Hindu was going to convert, he'd probably convert to Catholicism anyway, because they've got much more, you know, pomp and ceremony. So that's, that was one of my favourite scenes because it's, it's, it's having a dig at the, at the background that I come from this, are you a Catholic Hindu or a Protestant Hindu? That sort of background, you know? So um, that, that's one of my favourite scenes. Also killing my friends is always good. Whenever I'm killing somebody who's a mate of mine, that makes me smile. Um, yeah, so those would be my favourites, I think. Things, that, things where there are jokes or where I'm <laughs> gruesomely killing somebody I know. That's hilarious. <laughs> I can just see you sitting there chuckling as you're typing well, away. So that's, that's why I got into this business. It's basically therapy for me. <laughs> I just take out all my anger issues on my imaginary, well, my friends who are imaginary characters, as opposed to my imaginary friends. That's a completely different uh, kettle of fish. Yeah, nothing would surprise me with you authors. You're a weird breed, I've discovered. Oh, lovely. Oh, you might have to get murdered in one of my books now, Donna. <laughs> that's fine, you carry on. <laughs> as long as it wasn't sex-related, that's fine. Oh, well, yes. Mm. <laughs> that would be, be too much of that happening in your life right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fictionally only. Um, <laughs> What was I just going to ask you? Um, you lost your trailer. Talk. You're thinking about sex. Now, gosh, Donna, this is just gone off the rails. Yeah, I know. I don't know why that would be. <laughs> you're distracting. <laughs> um, when you're editing, what's your most overused word or phrase? <laughs> well, you see, I I didn't realise I did this, um, but my first editor pointed out that I used the word suddenly. An awful word. <laughs> And now whenever I write suddenly, I, I think every single time when I write suddenly, I think of my first editor and then I score half of it out. And then I can't think of a better word and I just write it in again. <laughs> so suddenly is, is the word that I apparently overuse. But there are there are phrases as well. There's also the wee, the wee gestures that you have to put in to break up conversations, though. So, you know, the, the, the nodding, yeah, nodded or sh the shake of the head, you know, shake his head or all, all that. But the, the word for me, I, apparently, is suddenly uh, that I use too much. He says suddenly. I love and every author knows their word. They know it just like that off the top of their heads, always. <laughs> what was your favourite first as an author? 
Gosh, that's a good question. You know what? There were so many things that stand out. Um, whether it was going to my first Harrogate, being on Val McDermott's new blood panel, meeting Val. Um, that's a funny story because I didn't know what to say. And I ended up inviting her home to dinner. And she said, yes. <laughs> so I had to tell my wife, Val McDermott's coming to dinner. And my wife got scared. And so instead of inviting her home, we invited mm-hmm. her to my mum's house in Scotland. And and so <laughs> mum was actually going to Blackpool that day. We didn't know this. So mum did all the cooking in the morning, then went away, came back drunk. But an hour before Val turned up, Val and her partner Joe turned up. And my mum's wearing her kiss me quick hat from Blackpool in a sari. And she's, so when's Val Dunikin coming? <laughs> it's not Val Dunikin. <laughs> So that would be one of them. That would be one of the things. But really, if you're talking about special things, uh, it's probably being invited back to school um, for prize giving um, because I never thought they would invite me back. Uh, there must be teachers turning in their graves, you know, if they're thinking, what? Um, so that, that was really quite special, going back to school after about, gosh, the best part of a quarter of a century, if not more. Uh, and and standing there and talking to all these kids and all these parents and saying, you know, if I can make it, anyone can. So, uh, but that, that was really special. That was really nice. But there've been so many, you know, the first interview on the radio, the first review in a newspaper, the first review by a blogger, all of these are, I'll tell you what I, what I regret. I regret not enjoying the moment more. Um, because it all happened at once, and it's and it's easy to get blasé, and it's easy to think this is this is what it's going to be like all the time. Um, but it's not because you're a debut, and and you get you know a lot of publicity which you don't get for the second book or the third book. But you know if you survive that, then the chances are it comes back. And I've been very lucky in that. Uh, you know we've been through the cycle. The books have actually done really well. People have taken them to their hearts. Um, but yeah, I regret not enjoying and savouring the moments more. Um, and I regret, you know, my, my father passed away before the first book came out. He knew it was coming, uh, but he didn't live to see it come out. And I wish I wish he had. So I've got more regrets than I have sort of, um, you know, memories, I suppose. Um, and I know this is a silly question, so I already know the answer. But do you have you made lots of author friends since you started writing? No, I hate them all. Um, no. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, it sounds I, like you've killed what? a fair few of them off. But you know what? It's it, it's funny, and and people say this, but the the crime writing fraternity is just the most wonderful, welcoming, helpful, open bunch of people you'll you'll meet um and it's it's really quite a shock because i understand that not all types or genres of authors are like that i mean literary authors have a reputation for being very bitchy uh romantic fiction authors apparently will scratch your eyes out you know before they'll even give you a good word um but crime fiction authors from you know the the very top you know people like ian rankin lee child val mcdermott all the way down, you know, they'll they'll make time for you. They'll give you advice when you're a nobody, um, and that has that sort of permeates through the whole community. It's so collegiate, so helpful. There's none of this, um, you know. Oh, 
if somebody else does well, then that means I don't do well. It's not a zero sum game. It's it's a question of pulling everybody up as you know and helping to keep the door open for other people. Um, and that's great. It's actually really, really nice, especially coming from uh, you know, an industry like finance, which can be quite cutthroat at times, to come to to an industry where basically everybody is very friendly and very drunk ninety uh, percent of the time is great. I, I love it, and you will see that I've had to move most of my books to make space for my alcohol, uh, <laughs> like a proper writer. So, so there you are. Yeah, I was talking to someone earlier that um, isn't brave enough to go to Harrogate, and she said. Um, I guess everyone's drunk. I'm like, honestly, I said everyone's shy and everyone's all sticks in their little groups and then the alcohol comes out and that's it. Everyone's fine. Yeah. So she's like, I made brave it then. I was like, you have to, it's great. <laughs> it's fantastic. And this year was, was quite special because it was the first, I think it was the first uh, festival, not just Harrogate, it was the first literary festival I went to after, you know, 18 months of lockdown. And everyone was a wee bit worried for the first hour and then everyone got drunk. But no one seems to have got ill, which was great. Um, well, nobody I know got ill because we were all worried about it. But it was and it was so nice. It was so nice being able to socialise and see people again. So it was very special. Yeah, it was my first ever literature festival and I loved it. Right. Absolutely oh, wow. loved every second. And I got home and then within about three hours, I booked my hotel for this year. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I go back. Yeah, so. <laughs> I haven't booked anything. I have to. I have to get online. I think I'm all right. I think I'm invited to to host a panel, so they I should have a hotel room somewhere or a bed for the night. I'll be all right. <laughs> you you should probably check though. You know, just to be safe. I'll do. Wait, I'm just going to wing it, just like you're doing with your exams. Or <laughs> get your wife to do it. That's what their wives are for. <laughs> isn't yeah, it? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to get Cluzo to investigate why I'm dead. <laughs> Oh, um, if you were able to spend a day with any author, dead or alive, who would you like to spend a day with? That's a good question. Oh, gosh, there's so many. Who would I like to spend? Who would? You see, any answer I give you will be the wrong one because there'll be another 10 that I'd want to spend it with. Um, let's let's go with Agatha Christie because I'm such a big Poirot fan. Uh, and I'd have to ask her where all the ethnic minority characters are in her book. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I think that would be a learning experience for both of us. So yes, I'll go with Agatha Christie. He'd be a very busy lady. <laughs> yes. very popular choice. <laughs> uh, who else do people choose? Um, oh, what's his name? A few that have died <laughs> recently. Stephen Isn't King, it? obviously. Oh. Um. We we had a him fantasy at guy last year. We had him at Pat yeah, Pemberton. I saw him yeah. talking, comparing toilet stories with Linwood Barkley. <laughs> yes, that was that was uh, interesting, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, I tell you who else would be really interesting. I think um, George Orwell. Um, so well, Eric Arthur Blair or Arthur Eric Blair, I can't remember. Uh, Eric Blair. So yeah, I would like to. I'd love to spend some time with him because 1984 is still my favourite book of all time. So. Uh, but yeah, Agatha Christie and George Orwell and me having dinner. Who's paying, by the way? Would it be me paying? Well, yeah, then, then, yeah. Be, yeah, be <laughs> well you're spending the day, so you know you don't necessarily have oh, to. Yeah, that's all right. I'll take yeah. them to It'll be fine. Don't worry. Yeah. And, you know, that would be a nice uh, treat for them, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> 
I don't, I doubt either of them will have ever had KFC, so it might be, you know what? Might work out quite well. Yeah, fried chicken, fab. The proper upper class. Yeah, none, not, not, none of the chicken cottage type stuff, proper KFC. So, yeah, pushing the boat out, be okay. <laughs> um, if you're able to travel for any period of time, either forwards or backwards, where would you go? Oh, good question. Good question. I would want to travel back to the period that I write about. Uh, I think that would be really interesting. I would like to see India in the 20s and 30s and 40s. Um, going forward is really scary, isn't it? <laughs> you see what a mess we're making of things now. Um, yeah, let's go forward as well. Let's go to the year 22, 22. Let's go forward 200 years just to see if anybody's left. Uh, and, and if so, are we doing really well or are we sort of scraping by or, you know, what's the state of the planet? I, I, I'm an optimist. I think despite ourselves, we will improve. We always do. Um, other than the dark ages, which was just dark in Europe. But um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm an optimist. Let's go at 2022. Let's see what it's like. Okay, I, no way. I'd, I'm not an optimist at all. <laughs> I just don't think there'll be anything. Or robots would have taken over, which is terrifying. No, but robots are useless. You, know, you, you try and get, I try and get my phone to pair with my computer and it takes like three hours. So no, maybe that's me that's useless. I, <laughs> I like to think it's the technology. But, oh, um, yeah. Or asking Alexa a question and she just answers. Well, exactly. <laughs> You've been upset and now she's listening. Got to be careful. I know. I've got one in the room with me as well. I better <laughs> not say the name too much because she'd be like, what? <laughs> Alexa, can we disconnect you? As a noun, disconnect can mean an unbridgeable disparity. Oh, she's not answering the question. <laughs> Alexa, off. Yeah, she's not. You can't do that, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dave. Yeah. I'll just switch myself back on. <laughs> so when you're not writing, how do you like to spend your time? Um, of course, when I'm not writing... I, do you know what? There's not enough time in the day, so I, I feel guilty. I don't spend enough time with my family. I don't spend enough time with my wife and my kids. Um, so when I'm not writing, I'll be with them or I'll be exercising. I'll be in the, I say in the gym, but I'm not in the gym anymore. So I'll be doing exercise. I'll be on the bike or, or doing whatever. Um, but most of the time these days is was with the family because there just isn't time for them. I think a lot of people would, would be in the similar sort of position. Um, what's the strangest or funniest place you've ever woken up? Oh, <laughs> that I can talk about. Um, <laughs> the strange, oh yeah, this is a good story. So we were out in a forest in, in the middle of India. Um, and this was me and Graham McRae Burnett, who wrote, um, you know, he was nominated for the Booker Prize um for i forgot the name of the book now you know what it's called uh, his bloody project there you are <clears throat> so we were out in the middle of this forest and we were um staying in these little huts and um so we woke up in the morning and our huts were next to each other and graham wouldn't come outside because there was one guy who was like playing a one-stringed instrument outside his door 
and he wouldn't leave till Graham gave him money. And Graham, Graham wouldn't come out. And he was in there. And he was a wee guy, right, with his little thing. It was like a one-string violin. And he was playing really badly for about 40 minutes. And Graham McRae-Burnett, you know, Booker nominee, just wouldn't come out of his room till I had to shoo the guy away uh, and let Graham out of his room. So that, that would be one of them. And the night before, um, Graham tried to impress these tribal people um, with his music because we, we went to this dinner and these tribal people were doing all their folk dances and stuff and then Graham got his phone out and I think he played them I can't remember what it was I want to say it was Take That that he played them <laughs> um, which went down really well actually in a forest in the middle of nowhere um, but yeah so I think my 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 Indian trip with Graham uh, and an auntie Val, Val was there too, but she wasn't, she didn't come to the jungle with us. She she stayed in Calcutta that time. But yeah, that was weird. Waking up in a forest, in a hut, uh, and Graham not being able to leave his room because he was scared of somebody. Um, <laughs> that, that would be. I'm sure he'll really appreciate that being shared as well. Oh, do you know what? I tell everyone this. You know, <laughs> he, he may be he may be extremely talented and a fantastic author, but he's oh the, the other thing on that trip was I turned up a day late, and by that point, some some guide had already fleeced Graham about five thousand rupees for a fifty rupee journey. <laughs> so um, yeah. So he, he wouldn't he wouldn't even be back if it wasn't for me. So he knows that. <laughs> um, and one of my other favourite silly questions is who was your first celebrity crush? Oh, first celebrity crush. <laughs> That's a good question, isn't it? I'm going to show my age now. It's probably ABBA, the girls from ABBA. That's probably, yeah, going back, yeah. I can't remember which one, you know, Ag Ag Agnetha or the other. I, I can't even remember the names, but um, yeah, probably, probably all of ABBA. <laughs> yes. Well, you may be relieved to know that I don't have. No, no, questions. wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Who was your first celebrity crush? You're not I don't remember either, and no, I always no, say, no, no, no. I always say Jason Donovan because that was my kind of era, and you know it was Kylie and Jason in Neighbours and their marriage, and um, you know the songs and stuff. So I assume, but I always feel that the world would be a better place if they did actually get married in real life. Yeah, that would work, and and also uh, Jennifer Aniston and Ross. Who, who plays Ross? David Schwimmer. Yeah, yeah. Although that looks like it might be on the cards. So Yeah, um, they really had a crush on each other, didn't they? So, so yeah. yeah. So I think th the world would be a better place if those two couples got married. I agree, yes. <laughs> and um, uh, Emma Watson and Tom Felton from Harry Potter as well, because they just love each other anyway. So why not Who's just go the whole... Uh, Draco. Oh, really? Oh, you see, I was thinking of Rupert Grint there. How does that work? How does Emma Watson and Drake home? No, that's wrong. That you see, you're turning it on its head now. You that's that's Trumpian talk. That is that's just wrong. Harry Potter reunion, you'll see. Okay, they well, love each other. They genuinely, and it's so cute. Is that right? Well, I'll have to. I'll, I will have, my, my wee boy is reading. Well, he's having Harry Potter read to him for the first time now. He's seven, so my wife is reading 
uh, the first book to him. <laughs> in chapter one, she's a wee bit scared that he, he might still be a bit too young for it because, you know, Harry loses his parents and there's a lot of bad things going on in the first chapter. Um, but I'm saying, get get through that and it gets better. So, yeah, so the first crossed. one, the first two or three are pretty tame, aren't they? Then after four, it gets dark. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. And number seven's basically just half of it's just about camping. Especially that, that film, you know, the, the two films, the first film's just camping trip. For most of it, isn't it? But yeah. And then the second uh, film is just a battle and loads of people do. Number three was the, the best one for me. The, See, I'm uh, number four. Number four what for was me. Is that the Goblet of Fire? Is that? Yeah. yeah. Where yeah, it's sort of half, choice. you know, the games and Quidditch and yeah. and stuff, and then it turns dark and, yeah. <laughs> and Voldemort comes back. Yeah, that's my favourite. Don't, don't say the name. <laughs> yeah, he's not, he's I'll, dead. Alexa, Alexa will get upset. <laughs> he died. No, it's no, fine. Quiet. Alexa off. <laughs> Alexa off. <laughs> You'll get loads of adverts for Harry Potter stuff now as well. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh dear. I want to go back on the studio tour, but it's so expensive. Well, the, everything's expensive. I need to have, I nearly had a heart attack when I saw how much it cost to go to Legoland. I mean, that's ridiculous. I love my kids, but not that much. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I only went because I got free tickets, but then I'm a worse anyway, so I don't like rides, so I wasn't bothered. I like the little mini, like whatever it's called, model village thing. That was my oh, favourite cool. thing at Legoland. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> cool. But anyway, unless you think there's anything I haven't asked you that you'd like to tell <clears throat> us, then I shall... No, I think that's. I think you've asked a lot of questions I've never been asked before, uh, and I'm a bit scared now what I've said about Abba and other people. And um, but no, thank you so much for uh, interviewing me. It's been it's been great fun. Uh, and I hope you'll edit this wisely so that I don't look like a complete idiot. I do not edit ever. <laughs> oh well, then. <laughs> well, thank so. you so much, Donna. Um, so just before we go, would you like to remind everyone where they can find out more about you and where they can get your books? Yeah, sure. You can find out more about me on my website, which is abirmukherjee.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Radio Mukers. That's R-A-D-I-O-M-U-K-H-E-R-S. And you can find my books on Amazon or in Waterstones or in all good bookshops across the country and in many other countries. Thank you very much. And I hope you do enjoy the books. <laughs>